If we constrict our dogs from engaging with the world, if we don't teach puppies that novelty is a good thing, that's where our reactivity issues come in. Hey guys, you're listening to the Dog Behind the Human podcast with me, your host, Dog Coach Francis. This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia, and we are powered by Podmetrics. Today, we'll be talking to our special guest straight from the UK as she discussed her wonderful career working with dogs for more than 50 years. Well, this has been my dream to actually speak with trainers across the world, get a chance to meet them, get to a chance to interact and get to know how they're doing their training, the style of their training, maybe pick up a, a lesson or two. All right. So on on our podcast today, so we're going to be talking with Sarah. Okay. Sarah Trigwell is the owner of JJ Dogs and is listed by the Kennel Club for their Good Citizen Awards. But I, I think it's better if we just let Sarah talk about what she actually does. Sarah, yes. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hi, nice to speak to you last. All right. So, Sarah, can you please tell us, introduce yourself to our audience? Well, I'm in the UK. I'm in the southwest, which is right down in the bottom corner. Mm -hmm. I'm in a county called Somerset. I'm as I'm not young. I am actually 64 years of age, and I have been training dogs since I was 10 years old. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's like 50 years. <laughs> exactly. And you don't look like um, any 60. You <laughs> actually look younger than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's uh, not very good. Anyway, cut a short story short. My parents bought me a Cairn Terrier when I was 10 years old, and I was told I had to train it if I was going to keep it. And I was sent off to the local obedience classes. Here they trained. I loved actually training my dogs, but I have to say now mm -hmm. I wouldn't go back to that method of training at all. It was all check chains and oh. uh, yes, a very aversive. And I have to say to my poor dog that's long gone, I'm very sorry that I trained you that way. Because <laughs> it, we would never train our dogs like that now. But I I loved my dogs and I loved training. And we had as a family, we had schnauzers and we did show dogs as well. So not only did I start competitive obedience with my Cairn Terrier but I was also showing schnauzers at Crufts so it all went back a long way. Wow wow you mentioned that you were training your dogs uh, years ago decades ago using mm. check chains something that's very aversive uh, especially in today's standards so my question is who was your teacher I mean who taught you to use check chains because when I started a few years back, uh, well, almost a decade now, when I started my career being a dog trainer, that's how I also started. I was using check chains, and I felt the same way that you felt. So, and for me, I thought it was the right way, right? Uh, or maybe that's the only way to train a dog, but now I know better. Um, I, I fully I, support force-free training. Yes, uh, so do I now and for a long time. But when I started... Um, Oh, what was our popular TV program? A lady called Barbara Woodhouse. Yes, uh, I'm quite familiar yeah. with her. 
Okay, so Barbara Woodhouse would have been the person I would have watched on television, and that would have been the person that everybody in my generation would have thought of as the dog trainer. Oh, wow. Uh, All right, so have you had experience using um, pinch collars or shock collars? Because that's what they promote. Pinch collars and shock collars were not as used in the UK as they were in America. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's still quite the way now. In the UK, yes, there are a few people that use e-collars. We are trying to educate people really strongly on not using them. Used quite a lot in bite work, I believe, but it's not. I've never used an e-collar. I've never used a pinch collar. Mm -hmm. My training now is really positive reinforcement. Cool. That's so nice to hear. I mean, here in our country, at least here in the Philippines, there's just a handful of trainers who really just promote positive or force-free training, and I'm just one of them. Uh, most other trainers are actually using more traditional mil- military style of training dogs, using check chains or prongs and even e-collars. So the purpose of the show, and I'm just so happy that you're here with me and for this interview, is I, I want people to understand that, hey, it's not just me who's really promoting this. There's actually a lot of trainers from across the world who started out using something aversive and then realized that, hey, there's a better way of training dogs. So my next question is, what made you switch? When did you realize that, hey, maybe I have to use something dog-friendly, something that's less aversive? I think that generally, as I developed training, alongside other careers my training was always done for my dogs and Mm -hmm. I became uncomfortable with the things I was being told to do and I could see that the some of the dogs as I went through different dogs and different breeds of dogs and I decided that actually each dog was an individual and a one method of training didn't work Mm -hmm. and you couldn't say one size fits all you know you couldn't put a check chain on a dog and bully it into doing as it was told because the dog became frightened of you or I just became terribly uncomfortable with it and I started looking into the science of training dogs mm-hmm. and it's science that has has now become for me a lot more of my training I will do a lot more research and I'm continually researching to find different methods and looking at the dog I'm training not looking at a a dog this dog will do as I'm going to tell it it will do it because I'm going to ask it and it's going to do it because it wants to do it not because I'm forcing it right that's so that's just awesome the exactly the words that I wanted to hear and um what we're trying to promote all right so of all the dogs that you had I mean you had you've had such a long career Kudos to you. Um, I I hope to be just like you to have a long career training dogs. Um, obviously, your experience really is there to prove um, how competent you are. So my question is, of all the other dogs that you've trained, because I, I, I was looking at your website, you've had quite a few well, programs for training. What are your specializations? I mean, when you started dog training, did you immediately jump into agility or as you went on, you progressed? I started my career, uh, well, not particularly career, but my hobby was obedience. 
and in and as I previously said, it was all done with check chains. Um, and one of my instructors was actually at that time was a police dog handler. Mm-hmm. And the, even their methods have changed now in the UK quite a lot. But in those days, it was quite forceful, quite assertive. I came away from competitive obedience for a while, and then I took on a rescue Labrador. She was two years old. Uh, mm-hmm. She came Labrador Rescue Trust. Uh, she'd had four homes at two years. Now she came from a line of showbred dogs. They weren't uh, working lines. And she was just an amazing, big, bubbly yellow Labrador. And she had no idea of, of anything. Nobody had got to the bottom of her. And I found that obedience didn't really suit her and I thought I have to give this dog something more than me trying to make it do as it's told and I thought it needs something that involves its energy and I took her along to somebody that did agility and from there although she was never competitive at at agility I learned an awful lot about that dog I learned Mm -hmm. that she needed to engage with me rather than me telling her what to do. If I gave her something that she enjoyed doing and she loved food, don't all Labradors love food? <laughs> right. She would do anything for food. She could never be a good agility dog because she was far too heavy. And in those uh-huh. days, we, we jumped three foot in those days or that was a big height for a big heavy dog. And she she became a dog that you could say I gave up agility with her but she taught me such a lot she taught me that she was a really happy dog and she would do things for me without me having to get cross with her because she wanted to do things and she wanted to do it for her reward which was either yes you're such a good girl or a handful of food mm-hmm. and that got so much more from her with those methods and from there I started my agility career then with a border collie and that we're talking 20 years ago and never had a dog since then that I've ever used assertive methods with. I've now Mm -hmm. got six dogs. I've got two border collies. I've got a working cocker spaniel and I've got three Malinois. Wow. Wow. Well, we do have Malinois here and for some reason, border collies aren't really that popular here in my country. I mean, there are, border collies around but again they're not as popular but i understand border collies are the go-to dog when it comes to agility is that correct yes yeah yes and most dogs that compete internationally will be border collies i would agree with that but we do run not collie classes they're called abc anything but collies and that why I then changed to Malinois because I wanted an extra challenge. <laughs> really, really, really good border collie, and I'm really pleased with her. We've we've come on leaps and bounds, and I'm hoping she'll be running champ next year if we ever get wow. the But I wanted a Malinois. I wanted a different dog to train. I wanted a different challenge, and I've now got three. I've had various health issues with a couple of my boys. He hit a fence just running around idiotically and he hit a mm. fence and he hit a bone in his elbow and he has oh yes and i say so he can't do agility but he turned me into scent work all so right 
yeah, I wanted to find something he could do that he would enjoy and, and enjoy engage his brain. And I decided scent work was the way to go. I didn't want to go into the bike work sports. I'm still not happy with some of the methods used over here in the UK, although there's some really good trainers over here that are force free in even in bike work. But I didn't want to go down that line. I still wanted to do agility with my collie and my present puppy Malinois that I'm training. And I thought scent work would be good for this guy. And boy, has it brought him on. He just loves it. And oh, wow. if anybody to look at the science, go to the School of Canine Science. They have got an amazing course on there. Then for six, do you know uh, Joe Rosie Haftenden? Uh, have you heard of her? And Nando Brown? I have um, heard of Brown. Nando? I've, I've heard of, yeah, Nando Brown. Yeah, I've heard of him. Is amazing for scent work and followed him and I'm now qualified as a scent work instructor and I'm a judge as well for wow so yeah there's lots out there to do with these dogs and you can find something to engage your dog with it doesn't and even pet dog owners mm -hmm. I would pet dog owners I teach a lot of pet dog owners do life skills Anything that encourages your dog to use its natural capabilities, and sniffing is one of them. Dogs, <laughs> dogs have to sniff. They sniff to introduce themselves to their own canine friends. They introduce sniffing to introduce themselves to you. So why don't we engage that? Mm -hmm. um, why don't we use sniffing? Why don't we encourage them? Why don't we learn about why they scent? Why don't we find out what they get from sniffing? What do they learn from sniffing? Right. How do they engage with each other? How do they engage with you by using their nose? It's an amazing thing to look into. And you don't need a lot of fancy equipment. You don't need huge areas. You can do it in your back garden. You can do it in your house. Pet dog owners should look at this more. It's so rewarding for your dogs. And it's force free. And it gives you a huge bond. Sports mm -hmm. give you a huge bond. Not everybody can do agility. You need equipment. You need a good trainer. You need space. Not everybody's got that. But scent work you can teach in a small space. So I'm I'm really getting into that. Right, right. So let's say we have a pet owner who's looking for ways to engage their dogs. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that you would readily endorse? scent work rather than agility because like you said agility takes a ton of work agility takes agility takes uh, a ton of work and in, and dedication if you want to take it as a sport you can teach it as fun every dog likes to jump things well most dogs like to jump things so you can you can teach agility for fun but it does in does need a bit of equipment and it needs a bit of space and you can do a little bit in your back garden, but not everybody's got a back garden. Some people mm -hmm. have got flats, apartments, right. got open space unless they take the dog out on a lead. Uh, whereas you can engage a dog in scent work in your own home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So maybe for pet owners who's probably just got that got that idea from you while listening to this podcast. All right. Maybe I would like to try scent work for my dog. So maybe one of the questions that they would probably probably be asking is, how young can I start my dog? Or maybe is my dog too old? 
what age is the best time to start training and how do I start? You can start scent work from the day you get your puppy or you can teach it to an older dog. All you need to do is start with a toy or a food probably with your especially a young puppy if it's interested in food show it a piece of food throw it on the floor let it go under a, a, a piece of furniture where it has to go and find it not mm -hmm. necessarily and pick it up then make it a little bit more complicated maybe put it under a cup mm -hmm. so that not like a paper cup or a plastic cup so put a little bit of food under that and let the puppy knock it over and find the food and just mm. increase difficulty. So you can start off really simply and increase the difficulty. Then later on, you would change the food for a scent. Uh, it could be clove, as you use in cooking, the clove, or it mm -hmm. could be, that would be my go-to scent. Uh, some people use herbal scent, um, possibly catnip. Oh, catnip. Catnip, yeah, that you could, it's readily available. You can go and buy that. And you put it in like a little package so that it's they can't eat it or, or <laughs> like that. But you need to put it in, make it into like a little sachet or a little bag or um, wrap it in a little bit of fabric and just tie the top. And then get the dog in, throw the treat and let it land next to the smell that you're using. And then the dog associates that scent with getting the food reward. And you just carry on building that up slowly, build it bit, bit by bit by bit by bit. Then there's other things you do like indication, but you don't need to do that with the puppy mm -hmm. at home. So I was checking your website and one thing that uh, really caught my attention was man trailing. And man -trailing. here you are talking about scent work, but maybe for our regular pet owners who are not trainers, they're not familiar with man trailing. Can you please explain what is man trailing? Man trailing is very similar to tracking. Do you un, uh, do you understand when a, a police dog tracks a scent? If mm -hmm. it's tracking a, a scent, it might not necessarily be a specific human scent. When a when a police dog is brought into an incident, it takes a any human scent that it finds in that area. It's not asked to find a specific human. Man trailing, we teach it with a article that belongs to a different person so it might be a glove it could be a neck scarf it could be a hat we introduce the dog we show the dog the scent we ask it to sniff mm -hmm. we we start them by letting them see that person move away not necessarily running but walking away quite fast and then just hiding it can mm. be behind a hedge it can be behind a vehicle it could just be behind a piece of architecture outside or just in a, a little alcove somewhere in a building. And then we let the dog go and track that scent. What that dog is actually tracking is, it sounds horrible, but it's actually trailing the, the flakes of your skin that have fallen off. That's what Wow. Yes. Wow. And <laughs> if it went into all the details of how many skin cells you as a person lose in a day you'd be horrified <laughs> what the dog is sending so they're they're picking up the dropped skin cells in the air and on the floor so it's different to tracking tracking is they take the scent that is already landed on the floor 
So these dogs that we're man trailing with are taking the skin cells that are still floating in the air. So you will often see a dog man trailing doesn't have its nose on the ground like they are tracking. They'll have their nose up scenting the air. Mm. So that's man trailing is slightly different to tracking. Um, my big Mally boy, he does man trailing and it's very good. Then, then you add in distraction and, and uh, different other scents as well. But you can end up with a dog that can find, particularly over here in the UK, we're, we're looking towards using them for finding maybe dementia patients that have gone missing from their home or something, or young children that have got lost. We can use a piece of their clothing or something that they've recently handled, and we can get the dog to take that scent and go and find that person. Wow, that's they're very not, insightful. Yeah, they're not necessarily looking for one person in a big field. They could be looking for one person in a shopping mall. Wow, wow. All right. Dogs, so I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Can you please repeat dogs, that? Dogs are very clever when it comes to scent. Extremely right. clever. Right. And me being a pet dog trainer, and uh, I mostly handle... Um, well, regular pet dog issues at home and as well as uh, aggression or reactivity issues. That's one of my go-to exercises from, for my students, for the dogs. I tell them, hey, you know what? Your dog is bored. Your dog needs a diversion. Let's use their nose, find something they, they like to sniff. That's also how they communicate. So I fully am interested with the work that you're doing with uh, mm. scent work and man trailing maybe it's something that i can probably use in the future and trying to solve reactivity it's just because well it i think it actually is good for the dog to build their confidence and the way they communicate and understand humans through scent would you agree oh absolutely we bring dogs into a totally artificial world our world has got nothing to do with the dog's natural world one of the things dogs do naturally is sniff and scent. They, they live their lives through their noses. If we, as a human race, with our dogs, if we encourage that, we encourage their confidence because they're communicating with us in a natural way. If we can bring our dogs to be confident and enjoy novelty, I think this is a big thing that people don't understand. If we cage our dogs, and I don't mean cage physically, but if we constrict our dogs from engaging with the world, if we don't teach puppies that novelty is a good thing, that's where our reactivity issues come in. We don't allow our dogs to engage with natural things, use their scenting abilities, their sniffing, their usual communication if we don't build their confidence, if we don't allow them to walk on different surfaces, to sniff different things, we don't encourage these puppies and these dogs to be confident in their natural world. We don't give them novelty. They must embrace novelty. They must be confident in our worlds. Our world is so unnatural to them. We have to help these dogs. Their struggles, their reactivity is because we haven't helped them engage with the natural world that we have put them into, not their natural world. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Before we proceed, it would be great if you guys also check out the other shows from the network. 
Parenting is a full-time job. Marriage, pregnancy, and parenthood are some of the biggest responsibilities we have to fulfill. Parenting is here to help you face these stages of our lives as real parents facing modern problems together. Hosted by Jelly Victor and JC Alelis. We'll listen in on some real conversations with fellow parents about the ups and downs of their parenting experience. Behind the scenes and everything else in between, Off the Record has got your sports fix. In this podcast, sit down with hosts, mix bustas, and take a closer look into the busy lives of the Filipino athlete as they talk about the nitty-gritty and pretty of sports in the country. Come and join in in the Kulitan Conversation. Captain America, Evil Demon Clowns, Alien Conspiracies. Come and join in on the fun. Listen to the girls, Jam and Dapsky, talk about anything and everything under the sun in Local Locus PH, your quirky pop culture podcast. So, well, we're talking about dogs now, about their scenting abilities. We're talking about... Well, we started out talking about agility, went into scent work, and then man trailing, and now talking about dogs in general. If I was going to start training dogs for specific roles, if I'm going to go with agility, which dog should be best for that? If I'm going to go for man trailing or maybe scent work or um, any other stuff, how important is the type of dog or the dog breed in order for you to choose which field you want to go to? I don't think any of these areas are breed specific. Mm-hmm. I think I think when you choose a dog, whether it be for a pet or whether it be for a sport, the genetics can help you or they can hinder you. I think if you're not used to herding breeds like collies or Malinois, German Shepherds, bearded collies, all your herding breeds, if you don't understand that that herding instinct has been genetic through hundreds of years, that's mm-hmm. what we've put into them, then you're going to struggle maybe with that. Maybe look at something that's, if, if you're new to it, maybe look at something that's not so herdy, that's perhaps been bred for working closer to you, perhaps a gun dog, perhaps a Labrador. A working Labrador, or, or perhaps now in um, agility, the working Cocker Spaniels are coming in. They're, they're eye-wiping some of the other breeds. But look at, I would never expect a pet owner to go and buy a dog for a sport. Please go and buy a dog that suits your lifestyle first. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. no go and get a high-drive Collie, high-drive Malinois, over energetic working cocker spaniel that are the most fun dogs in the world i've got one i know she's great but she's nine years old and i still haven't found an off button for her she's <laughs> on all the time she's an amazing little dog but she would drive the most you know a, for a family pet she might drive you bad and so look at the genetics of the breeding but be kept be don't go out and say i if if you've not done a sport Perhaps get a dog that is going to be your pet dog first. All my dogs are my pets. Mm-hmm. They're only doing sport 
10% of the time they're with me, 90% of the time they're with me, they're a pet. I'm sat in a house now talking to you and I've got six dogs that are in the other room asleep. <laughs> okay? Right. That's off time. I come home, they've had my attention, they've been training, they've been with me all day while I've been training other dogs, while I've been at my training venue. They've had lots of attention. I come home, I expect them to be calm, quiet, go sleep. I, you know, this is my time. This is my downtime. I'm talking to you. I don't want six dogs' noses over my shoulder saying what we're doing. <laughs> so, do you know Kamal Fernandez? No, I have not heard of him. He's a, a brilliant dog trainer over here in the UK. I've done several mm -hmm. work with him. He has something he brought up in a workshop when I was with him a few months ago, and it is stuck in my brain. Disney. What, has, what was that? Disney. Disney World, Disney Channel, uh -huh. Disney Film have got an awful lot to, to take on board when they produce their films, their cartoons and that. Please, as a member of the public, don't go out and look for your Disney dog. Oh. A Disney dog doesn't exist. If it's right. a cartoon, it's been created by a human. If they're in a film... They've been created for a part in a film, and it is not real. That dog's not real. That dog you're seeing isn't real. It's a Disney dog. So, you know, we have this wonderful dog that's a pet dog, does everything it's told. Burglar breaks in, it bites the burglar, it saves the day, and it turns back into the lovely pet dog. That dog doesn't exist. Right, right. understand what I'm saying? Um, did you have the John Wicks 3 film over there recently? Uh, yeah, I love the dogs, um, but I re—I had the opportunity to see uh, the dogs work in action, at least on YouTube, and how they're being trained. Those yep. are real dogs. They're not actors. They will bite your hand off if given the opportunity, if they were given yep. the command. These are certified attack dogs. And um, we have people here in the UK, and I'm sure all over the world, buying them because they thought they looked good oh wow so they uh, that's not good oh, what a wonderful dog that is look at how that dog goes look at aren't they smart looking they don't think that like, actually that dog's trained to do that right. and it is so sad it's so sad right well right here in the philippines i've had the opportunity to to train my dogs and then um, create movies and a tv series locally um, the name, yes, uh, the name of the show is Sherlock Jr., and it just so happens that my dog was a golden retriever, and uh, I was really worried about the same concerns that you that you had, that oh my God, there might be people who's going to be interested as soon as they see this on TV, they'll see my dog, how well trained she is for film and uh, the tricks that we're doing on the set. And they might be thinking, oh, I also want a golden retriever. I just want it to be just like my dog, Serena. I want my own Serena. And that's exactly what happened. I've had students uh, who are golden retrievers just because they saw our show on TV. And yeah. well, it was fortunate that they trained with me. So I was able to guide them. But again, the behaviors are completely different with what you see on TV. I mean, these are make-believe. There's cuts in between. We train specifically for that particular behavior. And you, like what you said, it does not exist. This is just make-believe written by humans so they can get the ratings up. Exactly. And 
And it's amazing what you have taught your dogs and what other people have taught their dogs for television and for movies and things. But that that's not that's not a real pet dog. That's it, it might be your pet dog, but you're a dog trainer. But that's not the pet dog that most pet owners are going to end up with. They don't see the intricate breakdown of teaching a behavior. You, you they don't think they want their dog to sit. They mm-hmm. don't care what they're, you know, the, the pet dog owner, as long as that dog puts its bottom on the floor when they say sit, that's all they want. When you mm-hmm. ask it, you might want it to sit absolutely square with its tail sat out behind it. You don't want it to slop onto one haunch. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't understand the difference between what you're trying to teach a dog to be on the television and for what they will accept in their own pet dog behavior at home what most people want is a dog they can have fun with that it's well behaved it'll settle down it will give calm behaviors when it's asked for it perhaps will go and chase a ball and 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 fetch toys and things but generally they want a dog that fits into their lifestyle and one of the big things that we teach in us in jj dogs is the life skills it isn't necessarily mm-hmm. the sport we're into teaching the life skills that the dog can settle that the dog can be taken to the coffee shop or we have pubs i don't think in the philippines you have pubs but you probably call them bars i don't know <laughs> to sit down and lie down by your chair while you have a meal or while you have a cup of coffee or a, a drink whether you take it to the local park or I don't know how your social acceptances of dogs in public are in the Philippines. I don't know, but you know, people are people in the UK. They want to take their dogs on holiday with them. They want to go to the beach. They want to go forest walking. They want to go mountain hiking and they want a dog to do those things with them and be well behaved. And that's the kind of thing we special specialize for pet dog owners at JJ dogs is we want a dog that fits into your lifestyle. Not my lifestyle, your lifestyle. Perfect, perfect. Well, just to give you an idea on um, how is it like here in the Philippines oh, to have a dog. Well, we are progressing. We're trying to catch up with the UK and also uh, other parts of the world and even in the US. So I, I would say everybody's learning. And the purpose of this podcast is to really just help spread the education to the public on how difficult it is are you ready what does it take to own a dog maybe you want to try scent work or agility the main goal here is to just really educate and i love it when you said life skills because i think that's really really important that you start training dogs with the life skills first before you even go out to doing agility right so what are the first few things that you would recommend to teach a dog when we're talking about life skills and how do you teach that? Maybe you can give us a tip. Okay. One of my go-to things when I first bring a puppy home is I want it to feel safe when it's left and it's got to feel safe in a busy house. So my go-to and, and, and some people don't like them, but I like my puppies to be in a crate. Mm-hmm. I like them as soon as I bring them home I like them to understand that the crate is a safe 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 place to be it's never a place of punishment 
never, mm-hmm. never punishment. So my puppies come in and if they've not ha- had any experience of crates, they will be fed in a crate. They will they will get treats in a tra- in a crate, and that crate will have something. Preferably, perhaps smells. If you go to a good breeder, they will give you something that that puppy slept on, or its mother slept on, or its litter slept on. So the puppy comes away with you with a, a little blanket that smells familiar, and that will go into the crate. If you're not lucky enough to have had that kind of breeder, then I would suggest you use a piece of your own clothing that you haven't just washed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or a a jumper or something that you don't particularly want to have back again but you can give to your puppy as its welcoming gift into your home and I would encourage the puppy to sleep in there I'm not a great believer in bringing a a home a puppy away from its litter and expecting it to possibly sleep the whole night in a crate on its own Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a bit more uh pro having that puppy in the room with you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the crate maybe not even in the crate if it doesn't know what a crate is it's not going to be happy but i would definitely set up a bed against the bed uh, its bed against your bed mm-hmm. crate against your bed also I, i've always found that helps with house training a lot quicker because as soon as that puppy wakes up it wakes you up and you're up and you take it downstairs and you toilet trainer it's too late when it's done it and it you know, <laughs> right if you, if you go down in the morning it's already done it and it's great you can't teach it so if you're you know give it a week of disturbing your sleep and then it'll sleep the whole night because its bladder's got a bit bigger mm. um can't go a long time so for me crate training is is my to go for i crate train because it's quicker for toilet training and I also crate train because it's a place of safety for the puppy. That's where I want it to choose to go. Very rarely shut the door. I'll feed it in there. Um, I'll give it treats in there. I'll give it a stuffed Kong. You familiar with Kongs out there? Yes, 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 of course. <laughs> Bats and things like that. Anything that will engage the puppy to go into the crate and, and enjoy itself in the crate on its own. And it becomes a great place to be. That would that's my always my first thing to go to. Secondly, would be I want it to engage with me. I want it to follow me around like a little duckling. I don't want to shut mm-hmm. it away. So I spend a lot of time. I'm I'm really careful when I at what time I get a new puppy. I've got to devote a lot of time to a new puppy, and it's coming into a household with other dogs. But it's got to engage with me first. It's allowed mm-hmm. to meet all the other dogs but i want it that i'm the best thing since sliced bread for that puppy i mm-hmm. provide all the things it needs it's allowed to play with the other dogs it's allowed to greet the other dogs it's allowed to engage with the other dogs but i want it to choose to engage with me first all and right should be what everybody goes for that your puppy should want to be in proximity with you and mm-hmm. to do that lots of i give my dogs lots of interaction with me whether it's with toys whether it's with cuddles whether it's verbal praise um but a lot of play a lot of play and that play can in, incorporate lots of games name games um proximity games toy games anything that engages that puppy and makes it think that i'm a wonderful person and i'm a wonderful being to be around i'm not that wonderful but as long as my <laughs> dog <laughs> 
Right. Okay. So you were um you just gave us a wonderful tip when it comes to uh, life skills, right? Especially with party training because that's real difficult. As soon as you get a puppy, you recommend that your dog sleep with you um, in your room, right? So that's all good. Now, um, let me just go back a little bit. How is the breeding situation in the UK? How do you get your dogs? Are there still puppy millers even in the UK? Because right now there's just, well, at least locally, I'm seeing a rise of uh, backyard breeders and it just ends up ruining the dog. Golden retrievers who are not retrieving, Labradors who are starting to be aggressive. So I'd like to know how is the quality of the stock, the dogs in the UK? Is it maintained? Do we have rules for that for backyard breeders? I mean, are there reputable breeders that you would probably recommend? I mean, if I was a new pet owner, how do I get my puppy? From your years of experience, can you share anything about that? Breeding from reputable breeders is brilliant, but unfortunately, backyard puppy farming is on the increase. And it is dreadful in the UK. And I'm ashamed of what's going on over here. I really am. If, if somebody in the UK wants a, a pedigree puppy, I would always recommend they go on to the Kennel Club, British Kennel Club um, website. We have accredited breeders on there. They have to abide by very, very strong rules to be on their list. Mm -hmm. And I would always recommend that people go there first and talk to the breeders. You can talk to the breeders, email, phone, like we're doing video, whatever. And, and a good breeder will ask you a lot of questions and they will drill you before they'll let you have a puppy. Mm. Over here, I would say probably 90% of the dogs that you'll see on the internet are puppy farmed. They say, yes, we've got perfect puppy for you. We've got scams going on at the moment. People sending big deposits and then never seeing the puppy because of COVID. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of our breeders over here, good breeders, haven't bred from their bitches, even though they they would normally, they've decided not to breed because of you know selling the puppies at the right time. Mm -hmm. So we've had loads of backstreet people jumping on because the prices of puppies have gone sky high. I would say they've tripled in price. So people have just said, yeah, if I breed from my dog, I can make a lot of money. Not got any money coming in much at the moment because I might be self-employed, not getting any money in or mm -hmm. I'm on furlough or all those reasons. And they just see people will pay silly money for puppies. And they've just gone on the internet and bought a puppy. We've got puppies over here dying within three days of being bought because they've got all the health issues under the sun. It is awful, really awful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, well... So sad. Well, yeah, that's sad. Well, that I would say the same thing is happening locally, maybe because the world's well, now we have again, we have Disney to thank for. I mean, because of their movies, people are now much more aware of dogs. They hey, I also want a golden retriever, I want a Dalmatian, I want a German Shepherd, those kind of stuff. Maybe it helped, right? But at the same time, it also helped trainers because at least at some point we got dogs to train, but again. Have you ever had experience to train a dog that probably came off from a puppy miller or a backyard breeder 
and you then realize this dog is hard to train than the usual same breed. Like the quality has gone down because of the puppy miller. So have you had difficulties in training these type of dogs just because they came from a non-reputable breeder? Yes, yes. I've had a lot of puppies come through puppy farms and people that haven't realized that they bought from a puppy farm. This is the, the biggest problem, I think, is that the public don't understand where they bought their puppy from. A lot of a lot of nervous puppies, very timid, afraid of, of, of everything, afraid of light switches going on, afraid of everything in the house, very, very closed down, very closed down puppies. I've had puppies that have come along and they'll just sit either on the owner's lap or, or underneath the chair and won't come out, you know, for the whole session. And I just say to people, let them stay there, that they're, they're mm -hmm. not ready for anything else. The other dogs we're having a huge problem with, which I'm dealing with a lot, are our foreign rescue dogs. Now, these are coming in from Spain, Siberia, Romania, Romania, Romania. Um, <laughs> What's with Romania? Um, because they got hundreds of dogs in kill shelters. Oh. Uh, and we're very soft about dogs in the UK. <laughs> Our rescues, see, we have our rescue people. Our UK rescue dogs, the the big like dogs trust and mm -hmm. the RSPA and, and Blue Cross and that, their criteria for you as a pet owner is very, very hard. They usually won't let you have a, if you work full time, you can't have one of their rescue dogs. If you've got children, you can't have one of their rescue dogs. If you haven't got a secure garden, you can't have one of their rescue dogs. Hey, if it comes over from Romania, anybody can have one. Mm. <laughs> so people can get a rescue dog from abroad with a lot less hassle because mm. the criteria is not there. And these dogs come in in might go into foster before they, you know, to be assessed. But sometimes mm -hmm. they come off a van and people go and pick them up from the docks and then I get a lot of problems with closed down dogs totally closed down their environment is just changed they've been a street dog and they've been bunged in a kill shelter had no human contact apart from food being thrown in thrown into their kennel area and then they're chucked in a van they've got a three-day journey over to the UK and then somebody says oh aren't you lovely <laughs> All right, right. People don't realize how scared scared they are. They're scared and they they can't understand the world they've been thrown into. They were quite happy mm. probably on the streets, to be honest. Mm. But <laughs> you know, people are well meaning and, and they take on these these dogs and they are hard work. They really are mm. hard work. But we get great success with them. They're not mm. right off, but they aren't easy for people to deal with. All right, so genetics uh, and getting from a reputable breeder is really recommended, and it makes the job of trainers a lot easier, right? Oh, absolutely. Please uh, do your research before you take on a dog. Please right. research. Okay, maybe last few questions, and thank you again for being on the show. If you were not a dog trainer, Sarah, what do you think your career is going to be like today? Has anybody uh, asked you that question? <laughs> before I became full-time trainer, um, dog trainer, I did a lot of mundane jobs, uh, mostly in retail. Mm -hmm. But 
I have done a lot with horses. I was a qualified riding instructor um, and I've also worked with adults with learning difficulties and, and taught them to ride and things like that. I think now I would have liked a gardening career. I like to be outside. I love nature. It sounds a bit trite. So I'm, I'm sorry if I sound soppy. Uh, I love to be outside. I wouldn't want an indoor job. I would love to be if I wasn't if I didn't have the passion for what I'm doing, I think I could get involved in the passion of gardening and just enjoy my own dogs and not do the sports. Cool. All right. For such a long career, what were the hardest part of your long career being a dog trainer and what keeps you going? The dogs. Mm -hmm. The dogs. I, uh, I, I love the dogs I train. I, it doesn't matter if it's a chihuahua that thinks it's a great dame or whether it's a, a reactive dog that mm -hmm. can't with the life that's been thrown at it. I love, I love training the dogs. I love the response I get from them. I love to see the light bulb moment come on in the dog's eyes when it understands what you're talking to it about. Right. I just would get a bit more compliance with the owners sometimes. It's so the is that the hardest part of being a dog trainer? people to do their homework <laughs> it's no good coming to me once a week and having a lovely session and the dog doing brilliantly well and then going home and doing nothing with it and come back the next week and say still won't see it mm -hmm. it's the clients it's the owners have got to come and come on board and they've got to take everything on board and you know the clients that come to me that that have faith in me that go away and do their homework and persevere with these difficult dogs and spend time their time and that really understand what we're trying to do and what I'm trying to do and have their faith in me those are the owners I love I love mm. those owners and I love yeah. their dog because those right. dogs around and that's what keeps me doing dog training mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree uh, and I feel the same way <laughs> So maybe my last question is, if you could just name a dog at some point that has probably, or do you think has changed your life? Who is that special dog in your life? Who is that? If you're just going to name one dog, who is that dog behind the human for you? Oh, Can you name one been, dog? That would have been Elkie, the yellow Labrador that was so difficult and she turned me into agility. She was such a lovely dog at the end of the time that I had her. I had her up until she was 12 from the age of two. She made me think outside the box of how to train her and how to make her respond to me. She mm -hmm. was an amazing, amazing, not the easiest dog, probably not the dog I'd want again, but she, was, <laughs> she, she taught me such a lot. She did teach me such a lot. Good, good, good. All right. Well, maybe there are some Filipinos who are in the UK who's going to be listening to the podcast and they probably need a trainer. How can they get in touch with you, Sarah? Oh, by all means, uh, put them onto my website or they can come onto my Facebook page, uh, JJ Dogs Training and Online. All right. Cool. All right. And any final words uh, for our uh, listeners to the podcast? Um, any tips or maybe any message that you want to say out there yeah enjoy your dogs enjoy them you don't have them for very long enjoy them while you've got them and do your best for them respect them and bring them up to be confident 
it's your world not theirs brilliant brilliant thank you so much sarah i hope to um invite you again on the show with this another topic that we could probably talk about maybe focus on the scent work on how we can actually help pet parents about that or maybe man trailing so again thank you so much for taking time off to be on the show thank you so much and it's lovely to speak to you and i'm sorry we had such a hiccup with the technology <laughs> oh no not at all um it was well worth it <laughs> thank I'm you sorry. sarah thank all you right. so much take care you too bye And now for the barking news. In an article posted on CNN.com, we have Augie the dog who celebrated her 20th birthday this week, making her the oldest golden retriever in history. With a dog-friendly cake and loved ones around her, August the golden retriever celebrated her birthday recently. Little did she know that as she licked the frosting off her cake. She was making history. August or Augie from the Dog Behind the Human podcast. Happy birthday. And now for our dog code of the day. Dogs are not our whole life, but they make our lives cool. From Roger Karras. And that's it for today's episode. Please don't forget to follow us on our social media pages like Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just search for Dog Coach Francis on those three platforms. Also, aside from Spotify, you can also catch The Dog Behind the Human on other audio streaming platforms like Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Again, this has been your host, Dog Coach Francis. And like I always say, Keep healthy, keep safe, and don't forget to pet your dog.